Hello, this is Amy Robinson and welcome to I'm Fine Thanks, a series of heart-to-hearts delving into all things mental health. Today's episode is with Talitha, or most people know her as Tally, Tally Fosh. Tally is a psychotherapist who works closely with people recovering from addiction and eating disorders, two topics that are very close to our hearts, having tackled these illnesses from a very young age herself. Now I'm going to be honest here and say this recording is from mine and Tally's second meeting, as the first I so wonderfully lost our whole conversation. <laughs> I love being a beginner at things. However, I did decide to take advantage of it as I came away from our first chat so reflective and I journaled so much about what we discussed. And so I took advantage to delve into those things further on this episode. I hope that you're able to come away from this as inspired and as reflective as I did. Tally Fosh, welcome to I'm Fine Thanks. Take two. So take two. So your story obviously is inspiring for so many reasons because you've tackled a few pattern thinkings, which is how you put it yesterday, which I just thought was such a good way of putting it, it saying these are just the patterns and the way that we think that we need to be tackling because obviously yours is not just addiction, but also overcoming eating disorders. So But above all of that, now what I love most is the fact that you are actually working at the centre where you went to for your own recovery, but you're now on the other side of the door. (laughs) I know, it's amazing. I'm I'm six years six years on and I'm now in working in in the treatment centre where I was for my own addiction and I'm now in the office and actually it's on so many levels such a treat to be able to see it from a completely different perspective and actually I do remember when I was there uh, I, I do remember vividly thinking one day I will work here. Was that the goal? Yeah I think so I, I just remember thinking I wasn't happy in my career at the time and I just remember thinking I, I want to work here you know so I had to go off and I had to train and I had to go and start my life again from scratch and actually now that I'm on the other end of the you know the other side of the door I'm in the office it's very it's eye-opening because I get to it reminds me of what it what early addiction is like early recovery sorry should I say early it reminds me of what early recovery is like and it's not an easy road and it reminds me that I can easily go back there you know I've got to be very careful because I'm I'm just a few steps ahead of them but it doesn't mean that my head is is you know I still have demons essentially yeah I want to rewind a little bit on on addiction, on the word addiction, because when I heard your story, I kind of, I reflected on what does the word addiction mean? And I realized how many different faces addiction has, because me being a bit ignorant, I guess I have the stereotypical vision of addiction is someone who has lost everything, has been doing it for years and years on end, and is maybe on the streets or, but for you, it seems it was quite a quick because it was only a very small gap, wasn't it, for, I think, was it two years that you were addicted onto alcohol and drugs, or...? It was, it was more, now I'm able to, now I'm able to look back and see that it was actually more of a, it was something that I was actually probably born with. The thinking patterns, the obsessive compulsive behaviour, and basically using anything that I possibly could to take myself out of myself. So the alcohol and the drugs were a symptom of that, basically. Mm -hmm. So... I've always been the way I am. I'm, I'm, you know, 
quite obsessive, compulsive. And the alcohol and the drugs and the food behaviors were all actually just to numb me, essentially. So I actually, I did start drinking, you're right, I started drinking quite late in the grand scheme of things, but actually it was way before I'd even picked up a drink that I can now see that my sort of behaviors were quite addictive. How does someone spot that at an earlier age? Obviously now you're able to reflect on that with the experience that you have, but how would someone spot those sort of behaviors maybe from a younger age? So if we're talking about addiction, I think, uh, so a lot of people that I've worked with and including myself can look back and they can spot that the pattern of from a very young age using actually fantasy and and worrying as a way to sort of escape from themselves essentially mm-hmm. and that's definitely what was you know the reality for me and if we're in fantasy or if we're worrying about the future we we're, we're not thinking about how we are in that moment yeah. and that's really how it can start or you know even with gaming like mm-hmm. anything that that takes you out of self essentially and that's something Gabal Mate puts quite well I was listening to him on a podcast I think it was underneath the skin and he talks about especially in the life that we live now we're so governed by advertisings and being sponsored and being targeted through our phones and Mm -hmm. social media and stuff that people don't realize they're addicted so you can be addicted to the shopping you can be addicted to just being online and because everyone else is doing it and this is a society we live in we don't identify that we're becoming mm. addicted. Absolutely. And I think that's a really interesting point because I, I had um, my best friend saying to me the other day, you know, I actually realized that I'm looking, I'm always looking for the next high. Now, obviously, we've just had six months of complete nothingness. And I think it's really been eye-opening to a lot of people how much we use external things to distract. And you're right. It's, it's either it's shopping or it's the next date or it's Instagram and all these things that that seem so subtle and unimportant actually can have a really big impact because we're not present right and and it's not that you know that's not me saying well everyone who does that is is an addict but it you know there is there are definitely addictive tendencies that people aren't aware of and as as you were touching on earlier addiction is has this sort of stereotype of perhaps being someone on the side of the street or someone who's lost everything but it's really not the case. For me, it is really when we seek externally to change our internals. That is as simple as that. So it's, it can be really subtle and insidious. And, and that is the problem with it. That is the problem with it. And I guess also, as you mentioned, like COVID, because of COVID, we've mm. had to slow down because we can't seek them mm. elsewhere. So I bet, I know for me, I can say hand on heart, having days because I've also I'm also unemployed at the moment Mm. so my life has become very slow down I used to be a publicist I was working full time Mm. and so things crop up (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) and it's unpleasant I mean this is if you think about it why do you think we spend so much of our lives rushing around you know we we have this belief whether it's conditioned whether it's society that we should be busy all the time. You know, we can't, you know, we shouldn't sit still. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing that. We need to be succeeding all the time. Mm-hmm. But no one ever says actually, well, let's just stop for a second. And being able to sit with self is so hard. Yeah. And people think that it's being, la- you know, the, the way we've been conditioned to believe that it's, it's actually it's something that's lazy. But 
you think that these people who spend hours and, and hours in meditation, you know, they dedicate their life to it. <laughs> it's not easy, yeah. right? It's absolutely not easy. And the reason why we find sitting with self so uncomfortable is because when we've got no distractions, as we've now seen over the last six months, feelings come up. Yeah. Feelings, memories, regret, the past, the future, fear, anxiety, worry, all of these things, there is then space for them to appear. And people don't like that. Yeah. I, and me included. Me yeah. included. Oh, I, God, you know. me, yeah, me too. And I know that's exactly what I do. I basically spend my life making myself so busy that my own reality can't catch up with me. And also, I, I think as well, when we think we're not okay we think we're doing it wrong. Mm. And actually the irony is that being not okay is part of it. It's absolutely. No, no, this is the thing. Being, being not okay is part of being okay, <laughs> yeah. right? Because if we, if the, 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 when we don't feel okay, we're feeling. Mm. And we just believe that feeling, you know, feeling sad is bad, but it's actually so good. Mm. It can be so good. It can be so beneficial. It can, we can learn so much from it. You know, I, love the, the the notion that when when we when we are feeling pain that is when we are growing you know they, they call it growing pains and I just love that expression that's such a good expression because because it's it's true right when you're going through turmoil we're actually growing it's the discomfort it's the discomfort that we feel is what makes us change if we do the same thing over and over again we're not changing it's pattern yeah. it's habit but when we are uncomfortable when we have that really kind of gut-wrenching feeling of of discomfort that's when we're changing we're because pushing we're pushing boundaries and we're growing and we're learning yeah and so going back to addiction when was the moment that you realized that you had an addiction when when did it play out um, for you I it was when I had I mean I have been in treatment when I was 17 I'd gone into a, a treatment center that was sort of for depression and suicidal ideation. And I knew I wasn't well because I had, I had quite a severe problem with self-harm. And I knew there wasn't something quite right. But my first addiction, I'd say, in the addiction spectrum, the addiction umbrella, eating disorders is underneath that. Because it's, it's basically using food to change the way we feel. Whether that's under-eating, whether that's overeating, whether that's bulimia... It's using food to change the way that we feel and to control hmm. feelings. So for me, that was my first ever addiction or pattern of using. And I was 14 and I was at school. I was very lucky that I, I just avoided going into hospital because actually what happened was, as I then now I can see, I, I found drink and I found boys and I found partying and that gave me a sense of who I was. And I... I remember the first time that I ever really drank and it was at one of my still bestest friend's birthdays and I remember having that overwhelming sensation of, wow, I'm going to be okay. It was this real sense of, oh my God, it was a relief actually. It was this real moment of, I was really uncomfortable in myself, I was really awkward, I was 16 and and spotty and oh, just didn't like myself very much. And I remember then having, having a drink and suddenly everything felt clear. But I took it one step too far and I was sick everywhere and obviously that was not a good start. But if I now look back, my drinking was, it wasn't that I was drinking any more than anyone else. This is what I always say to people. It was never that I was drinking people under the table. It was never that I was drinking, putting vodka in my cornflakes, but for me, it was the consequences that I had when I drank. Yeah. 
and, and I now see it as a sort of analogy to it, where whenever I drink, whenever I drank, rather, I can't drink safely. I never knew when it was going to end badly, and I had some serious consequences from drinking, and I, I kept going, I kept going. And I, and I never, I didn't find drugs until I was 21, so I didn't have, 20 maybe, so that I didn't have very long with them in my life, but the way I used them, it was sort of naught to 100. Mm. And, and that's how I sort of realized it was all because I had a massive hole in my life. I didn't know who I was and I hated myself so much. And to be able to now notice the pattern of when I put the drink and the drugs down and I went into treatment and then suddenly my eating disorder reared its ugly head. God, it was savage, you know, it just suddenly came back so strong. I thought I dealt with it, right? Mm. And I then realized, ah, oh, I see, okay, so the, I've put the drink and the drugs down, which is what I've been using to control my reality and, and make me feel mm. safe for so long. Now, I'm using food. Food is what, is what nearly killed me, actually, because of the sort of severity and the sort of pace as to how it sort of took over my life again, yeah. basically. So when you put down the drugs the alcohol, and then started controlling, I guess, more your patterns with food, you've removed quite literally everything that from the majority of your life, maybe that sounds dramatic to say, but that I guess your life was governed by. Sure. So when it was all taken away, mm -hmm. how did you begin to restruct your life? I think... I'm very lucky in that I had as I was in treatment. I'm very lucky that, that I was felt safe in treatment and I met some amazing people in treatment, you know, like-minded people who were also really struggling and you then start to realize, okay, you can have friendships that are outside of going out and getting wasted. And that was a very weird, strange concept for me because I was young, I was 22. So my life had consisted of drinking and getting really fucked for so long. Yeah. And, and then I think I'd, I got to a point where... I felt nothing, right? I was completely empty and I was, I was scared. I remember thinking, oh my God, how am I going to, what, what am I going to do next? And luckily I was obviously supported and held by these treatment centers, but it got, got to a point where you, you're on your own, yeah. right? You, life starts again. And funnily enough, I was having this, this conversation with someone the other day and I'm having this immense gratitude for the fact that I got clean so young because I was able to recreate my life, right? I was able to, I was able to start afresh. It didn't feel like that at the time, let yeah. me tell you. And I had to, you know, I lost a lot of friends and I had to really think about who and what I wanted to do. And that's scary, but it also gave me the opportunity to start over. And I never thought that that was possible. How much did your friendship circles and your surroundings change pre and post rehab? I'm quite lucky in that I have a group of girls from school who have been there since we were 11. And that is just so special. But I, you know, I, there was a time in my life that I was surrounding myself with a lot of people who were drinking a lot and taking a lot of drugs because that's, that was my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, what I did realize is that I didn't have to be friends with the whole world, right? Yeah. I, I, I really struggled with that. I thought that I needed to have thousands of friends because it gave me a sense of worth right? If I had lots of friends, then it meant that I was good enough. And then it meant that I was popular and I was likable. Now I really don't. Have, I've got, you know, a handful of gems in my life and a lot, you know, I'd say half, half, half that I met before I came into recovery and the other half that I've met in recovery because I've changed yeah. and I've attracted 
you know, different people into my life who suit the lifestyle that I now lead, basically. I always think it must be, I know everyone says the hardest part is accepting you have a problem. But mm. I always think the hardest part must be after you have managed to find a safe space, because obviously it takes you already a lot to find the safe space in rehab. And then once you've kind of found that safe space to be kind of spat back out to the world. Mm. And I always think that must be so hard. Like how, how do you even begin reconstructing your life? Because you're going back to your circles, aren't you? Mm. Your friendships, your family, you know you've changed. So do you slot back in or how do you... I definitely didn't slot back in. I, I, you know, it took me a good few years to find confidence because, you know, bearing in mind I had been using drinking, drugs, food to, to define who I was for so long, I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue who I was. I didn't have a clue what I liked. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't know how to, <laughs> I didn't know how to put one foot in front of the other. And I, I literally just had to trust that whatever I was going to do next was going to be the right thing. And I knew in my heart of hearts, I knew that getting clean and sober was the right thing for me at the time. Now I look back and I'm like, thank God. But I, to be very honest with you, when I first went into treatment, I remember I'd hit a rock bottom where I really wanted to take my own life. And, and I went to see a therapist who was, is an amazing man and will be forever grateful to him. And I said to him, what can I do? He'd known that I'd had a problem for years, but he, you know, you have to be very gentle. The problem is actually about the problem that you can't get help unless you want it. Yeah. That's what I've realized. You know, unless you want help or unless you want change, it's not going to happen. And this man said to me, okay, well, this therapist said, right, well, you are going to then go in somewhere and not drink for 14 weeks. I was so desperate. And, and I said, okay, fine, 14 weeks. But I was planning, you know, this big piss up 14 weeks post-treatment and, and 14 weeks later. And I obviously got in and I realized, okay, that was not going to happen. And then, and then it was scary because then it was like, okay, really, things are going to have to change. And they did, slowly. And what happened was I had to quit my job and I had to think about what it was that I wanted to do. And luckily I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to retrain. But I also had to start working out what it was that I liked and what it was that I didn't like and what my hobbies were. You know, I did things like I went and I joined a choir. And um, I, I, which, you know, which is still like a massive part of my life. And I love it. And I do it because it makes me happy. And I don't, you know, there was no way that I would have done that before because I would have been so worried about what other people would have thought of me or, and the choir is pretty cool, by the way. So, and, and also, you know, like... It's only cool when you own it, exactly. isn't it? It's like everything. It's like everything. It's only, you know, it's, it's, this is the thing. I've been speaking to a lot of people recently, a lot of clients recently, who, when I ask them who their idols are or what they, what they want in their life and, and what quality about someone that they like, it's always someone who's got so much confidence. And I think that's what it is. We're all actually just really seeking that and craving that to be able to own who we are but first of all before we do that we need to find out who, who, we, who are. we are and for me it was actually working out not necessarily work-wise but like hobbies interests what did I like what did I like filling my time with was it books was it movies was it art was it in my case singing or yoga you know so that's how and then slowly slowly you start building things up and then you develop you get you you know you become part of a different tribe and then you go, okay, this is where I fit in. You build in this. friendships within mm, those tribes. Exactly. So you start amending and attracting the people that you want in your life. I guess mm -hmm. it obviously has a trickle on effect. Absolutely. 
So I, after our conversation yesterday, <laughs> I went away and started journaling and one of them was what, ident- what identity have I given myself in my friendship circle? Because I think, who am I? Which I find a very scary question. I always then identify myself with the role that I play within my friendship group. So mm. like I'm like the loud one and the jokey one and the pissed or whatever. Mm. And something that you said to me yesterday, you were like, well, what if you weren't that role? And I, I found that it sounds really silly, but I found that really overwhelming because I was like, mm. what, what, what would I be mm. otherwise? And I thought that was so powerful because I think how many times have I stopped to reflect who am I? Mm-hmm. And I guess when talking to you now if someone asked you who are you how would you feel now obviously having overcome yeah everything what how do you feel if you were the person writing that in your journal it's funny because that's a very good question I and I think about it a lot actually I think about it a lot and as you know it's not necessarily pain it's not necessarily pleasant rather sometimes it can be quite painful because self-doubt can creep in and we can think we're something one day and then think we're something else another day (laughs) you know so it changes all the time but I think the reality is, is I'm a whole mixture of things. You know, I'm not one thing and I'm not one persona. I'm not one personality. And I love that. I love yeah. that. I love that I'm, you know, it's, there's a fine line between being able to adapt because we're acting codependently. So being able to adapt because we're trying to please other people or being able to adapt because we actually know how to keep ourselves safe and how to not give away too much of ourselves, basically. So I now know what I like and what I don't like. And that's been one of the biggest gifts for me because I now know that if I go somewhere that I don't feel entirely safe or comfortable, I will leave feeling not so good about myself. Or if I go somewhere that I've had to put a mask on and pretend to be someone that I'm not, I will not feel good about myself afterwards. And I don't want to do that anymore. I've done that a lot in my life. But there are times, you know, as things change... That's I'd fall into... People pleasing. Why? I don't know why, but I'd, I'd find that because really it's, it, but it's because it's a pattern. It's it's a habit that you you haven't done it any differently, and that's obviously not a criticism. But no. I had to do it differently. I didn't have a choice, and which is why I'm so grateful because I didn't have a choice. I had to suddenly be me, and I didn't know who that was, and I had to try and work it out. And I think sometimes to myself. Don't get me wrong. It's not like this all the time. I'm not this sort of strong all the time. Like sometimes I'm like, oh my God. Thank God. Oh, no, 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 no. No, trust me. I, I'm, oh, I can be in so much self-doubt and self-loathing. But the, I'd like to think the majority of the time I'm able to say no because I know something's not right for me. I'm able to say no to a social occasion or I'm able to say no to talking to someone. You know, because I, I like to think that I know now more than I have ever before what my limits are and what, what nourishes me. And that might sound like a really cringe thing to say, but it's, it, you know, we spend so long looking out, outward. It's, it's all external, like looking at what's to come or looking at how we've done this and, and, our, and, and, and how this has worked out and how that, what that's going to look like. But actually we spend very, rare, like very little time looking at, well, okay, well, what was my part in that? What do I like about that? What do I not like about that? How can I change that I can be better do you know all that kind of stuff we don't do that often no definitely not I love when you say that it's okay to be multiple different people you don't have to fit into one 
box, which I think sometimes I, I'm going to speak for myself, but I can assume other people maybe agree that we kind of go, well, that's the role that we play, so I must play to it. And actually learning that actually, no, I can be the same person. I can go out and have a wild night, but then also tomorrow I can just sit in and read my book and be happy sitting there with my cup of tea and going to bed at 9 p.m. And I can be both. And I think that's something I know I struggle with because I feel like I feel like I'm trying to identify myself with one and get sure, confused. Sure, but, but the reason why you are trying to identify yourself with one is, I guess, because that's what it's been for so long. You know, that's how we find our identity as we're finding our sense of self. So it's not because, you know, you're bad or wrong. It's not because we're bad or wrong. It's because as we're growing up and as we're becoming a teenager and identifying who we are and where we fit and sort of establishing our sense of self... If we are getting our needs met when we are behaving in that certain way, right? If we are the joker, for example, and then when we are the joker, we get attention, we get praise, we get validation, then that's how we know how to get our needs met. When I behave like this, I know this will happen, right? So when you don't behave like that, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how people are going to react to you. And that's what's scary. Yeah. And, and I, I still find it scary because I, you know, I have to own sometimes to people that I don't want to own, that I don't drink. And yeah. that might sound like a sort of silly thing to say, but, you know, when I meet someone and they go, oh, why don't you drink? You know, well, I, and then I get all the time, you know, oh, well, I don't trust people. I don't trust people who don't drink. My initial reaction is, is to be like, yeah, haha, me too. Like, oh my God, people who don't drink, like, you know, pass me a drink. That, that's what I would, my sort of automatic response to that is because I feel uncomfortable in myself. I feel a bit triggered. I feel vulnerable. And I have to then think, okay, but there's not a reflection on me. This, that, that's completely their view. I don't drink. That's because of, I don't drink for various reasons. And, if I, and I have to be able to own that. But don't get me wrong, sometimes I don't want to own it. Because there was a time that my identity, not only to other people, but to me, was defined by being the one who always wanted to party. Yeah. And so, you know, when that suddenly went away, everyone was very confused, as was I, you <laughs> yeah. know? One of the other things I put in my uh, journal, which kind of falls very neatly with this, <laughs> which I still am trying to wrap my head around. What others think of us is none of our business. Mm -hmm. Still trying to wrap my head around it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, for me, that is literally one of my favorite sayings. You know, what, what other people think of us is none of our business. It's true. Because as soon as we try to control what someone is thinking of us. We're trying to meet their needs and lose ourselves along the way. We completely lost ourselves along the way. Yeah. It's the difference between taking responsibility for stuff and owning it and being able to own our part in things and our mistakes. But then when we know that we've done our best and, and people don't meet us the way we expect them to meet us, that's really where the saying comes in. You know, when people don't meet us the way we need them to or expect them to, we make it mean something about ourselves, right? So when someone... I don't know, rejects us or said doesn't like a job we get for example doesn't come to fruition we think oh my god it's because I wasn't good enough but actually we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes and that's what where this saying sort of comes in you know what they're thinking is none of our business right we've done the best we can we've been authentic and this is why for me now being authentic and being true to myself is so important because if I've been true to me and if I've been myself there's absolutely nothing else I could have done yeah. But if I sort of slightly put a mask on and I think, okay, I should be the funny one or I should be the clever one or I should try and be, you know, sound more intelligent than I am, then I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should have done that. If we are completely and utterly ourselves, we really can't do anything different. Mm -hmm. And then it's absolutely 
not our responsibility or our business, what other people, how other people react to us. We really underestimate how other people, you know, what we might trigger in other people and how other people might react to us. That's not our business. It's really not. That's so true. I haven't really thought about it that way, is the way that actually we can trigger others. Oh my God, it's you. We really, you know, it's, this is the thing that I've found so, so much is that, you know, when we have someone that doesn't like us, for example, okay? And I mean, personally, I find it excruciating when someone doesn't like me, but that's because I'm insecure and no, I, me too, you know, yeah. and I'm codependent, and I'm people pleasing. But we have no idea. It, it's just like, you know, when people talk about mental health and like, you've got no idea what that other person is going through. So be kind. It's the same thing as how we, how other people react to us. If someone doesn't like us, if someone doesn't like me, that's not necessarily because I'm bad or wrong. I might trigger something in somebody else. I might remind them of someone in their past. They might be envious or, you know, envy is, oh, I had this amazing quote on this podcast with Russell Brand that I, I know envy one it is. is our unfil- our potential. potential projected onto another. So yeah. I heard it yesterday. It's so amazing. Good. It's so true. And so that's why, you know, we just don't know how we might be, what we might be provoking in other people. And if they have a lack of awareness around it, then they're not gonna they're not gonna come and have a chat with us. They're gonna they're gonna react in a way that outwardly shows that they don't like us. But it's nothing to do with us. It's not because we're bad people. Hey, that's a lot healthier approach of looking at it, isn't it? Because I think if I tried to replace every single time that I said, "Oh, what have I done wrong, or why don't they like me?" as opposed to, "I am me, and it's probably for the best that if I I don't want to trigger anything that comes up in their life," mm-hmm. and being able to at least see it from a more wholesome point of view. When we naturally go straight to the, oh, I'm not good enough. But it, it, it really it leads on to, and it reminds me of, of so much of what my real core problem is, is self-obsessed fear, right? It really is. Like, that is my core problem, is I think everything is about me. And I don't is think... Is it not? <laughs> I know, quite. Is it not? Fuck. Um, but it's not, apparently. <laughs> uh, apparently so. I mean, like, evidently so. It's not all about me. And I think that's where I've, I've found myself in a lot of pain is when I think it's, it's about me. And it's called self-obsessed fear or self-centered fear. And it's really dangerous and can be really nasty when we get into a place of, oh, my God, because we can become a victim and we can go, oh, my God, it's all my fault. And then we can and we completely lose track of ourselves. And actually, that's why... Recovery has given me so much because it has enabled me to look outwardly, you know, which is why I love working with clients as well, because whenever I'm working or when I'm with a client, it, it's a moment in my day that I'm not thinking about myself. Mm. And it's, it's bliss because yeah. I think about myself way too much. <laughs> it's exhausting. A, another thing that I absolutely loved, and I think like I know I went on about it yesterday, talking allows others to talk. And... I think that that for me was just so impactful because I found when I first started talking about mental health or admitting that I have not, I've suffered immensely in my lifetime about mental health. I've hid it from the whole world and I've done it very well. I've played Mm. the role very well. And I remember going, oh my God, what, how how will it be me then one day ever saying and admitting, do you know what? I suffer with my demons. I have mega demons in my head. And then I just thought, thank God for people like Bryony Gordon, Ruby Wax, and all these other people that have finally spoken about their things made me go, oh, I can talk about it too. Mm. And now since I've started talking about it, I've also realized like when I uploaded the trailer for the podcast, I had so many people contact me and I was like, my God, it's so true. Like, it installed in me, thank God I started this podcast because 
us talking about it is continuing to open the dialogue mm. and I just reflected so much on how powerful that was talking allows others to talk but this is the thing when we are open and honest and vulnerable it gives others permission to be honest open and vulnerable I really reflected again talking about feelings that you said yesterday thoughts create feelings and yoga taught me the best, best lesson I've ever learned in my life. And it is that I am not my thoughts. And that was the start of me starting to do inner work because I was no longer governed by my thoughts. Like me having these dark thoughts or being cruel to myself didn't mean that I was crap mm. and horrible and all these things that I made myself truly believe mm -hmm. so long. So that was step one almost, like I'm not my thoughts. But understanding now, I feel like yesterday you kind of took it to the next level for me, was that thoughts create feelings. So I can actually change my feelings by understanding my thoughts, recognizing not a thought, and maybe almost contradicting my thought to change the feeling. So it's about the thought pattern. This is, it's essentially that. So, so we cannot have a feeling without there first being a thought. And these thoughts can sometimes be unconscious, like a, a, an inner critic, like something that's critical. And the feeling will associated that with that will be negative. So I don't know, you don't get the job. You go, oh, I'm, the thought is, oh, I didn't get the job. Therefore I must be shit. Therefore the feeling that is associated with that is, I don't know, anxiety, shame, panic, fear, whatever it is. But if we are able to then challenge thoughts, we're also obviously able to change the feelings. We obviously, as you said, we're not our thoughts, and we are, but then consequently not our feelings as well. Mm. So if we're able to, if we don't get the job, I didn't get the job, okay, I'm shit. It's, I didn't get the job, okay, well, it's out of my power. I did everything that I could. I can try again, but I am worthy of having a good job. I'm worthy of getting a good job, and I'm worthy of getting the job I want. Mm. That will evoke very different feelings. Yeah. I, like, I know it's, it may sound small, but for me, I really thought that was quite mind-blowing. But that's what therapy is. For me, anyway, is what, personally, when I have therapy, because I have a shit ton of it, because I need it, but that is literally, essentially what it is. It is it's challenging my core belief systems. We create these belief systems that we've had from childhood, right? They, they start when we're young, these core beliefs that we have about ourselves, we carry those out with us for the rest of our lives and that they dictate, they really do, they dictate so much. We underestimate how much they dictate. So when I'm in therapy and I am, the, why I love it so much is because I get challenged. My thought process, my thought pattern gets challenged because there is another person sitting in front of me who goes, but hold on, where's the reality in that? How about if, what about, well, what if you thought about it like this? And that automatically changes the way I feel about it. Because if, if it isn't the way that I'm determined that it's going to be, then okay, then I've got to think slightly differently. And if I think slightly differently, the feelings that come with that are going to be different. Hmm. I love that. I, I, I love that. So I also want to obviously talk about, so you've created a platform, Therapized. And I love it because I often go through Instagram and read, I'm going to actually read out some of the quotes that you put up. It's not the future we're afraid of, it's repeating the past, and we repeat what we don't repair. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that I didn't come up with that quote, unfortunately. No, 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 no. I, the quotes that sometimes I do, but sometimes they are just ones that, you know, I, I'm very lucky that I have people who want to read stuff that I post, and yeah. it's important yeah. then that I feel like it's, you know, I want to be able to, to share this 
this wisdom because these you know what people maybe don't understand or know is that whenever I post something on Instagram it's because it's something that's going on for me as well so it's it's always inspired like the choice of what I post is inspired by a thought that I've had or a feeling that I've had and that I think okay well maybe other people will feel it too and that's what I love actually about the platform is that I get a lot of people messaging me being like god thank you so much I really felt like that too and it just goes oh god okay I'm not alone and and this yeah. is the thing we aren't we all share the same fears the same feelings you're almost like creating a community yeah I, I hope so I hope so I hope so yeah I mean yeah there was also another one of saying we suffer more in our imagination than in reality mm. yes oh my god we do <laughs> I do I absolutely do I but this is, again, it just goes back to this whole notion of being able to challenge the way we think. And, and if our mind is healthy, mm. then we are able to challenge the way we think. But if it's not, then we're going to suffer because we're going to sit in our heads mm. and we're going to be in self-obsessed fear. Yeah. And we'll be in self-loathing and it will be all about us because we haven't got the bigger picture. So how do you, what's your rituals? How do you keep a healthy mind? So for me, therapy, I, I'm very fortunate that I have therapy weekly, but I also have, I keep a good group of, of women around me that I trust that, that challenge me on certain thought processes. I have a very strict routine in terms of every morning I get up and my routine is exactly the same and I get out of bed and the first thing I do is I walk. Whatever time, you know, whatever time I have to be up, I'll get up even earlier to go and walk because it's my time where I get up and I reflect and this is the thing I'm learning about self-care. Self-care isn't necessarily going and having a massage. Self-care is making sure that we prioritize feeding ourselves or prioritize getting some exercise. That's self-care. Mm. So I have quite a strict routine in terms of how my day is structured. You know, that's because, first of all, because I like control, but also because it keeps me safe. And actually, I know what I now know what's good for me. You know, even on weekends. And, and I... And I you know, it's funny, I still struggle on weekends. I still struggle on weekends because weekends were, it's time to party, right? So, yeah. and it's like the blowout of the week. Exactly. I've so, so I've had a hard week, week and I want to go and have a blowout. So, weekends still have that, you know, connotation. And actually, I remember someone in treatment, one of the, the counsellors turning around to me and saying, Saturday's just another day. It's literally just another day. It's like Wednesday. It's just another, and I was like, oh my God, it is. <laughs> but I still, I just still struggle. And there are times when I, want to plan my weekend every single last minute so that I'm not not busy um but there's also times where I'm like actually I'm gonna have a weekend of doing nothing but I still then have a routine by that I can follow to keep me safe whether that's like you know still getting up in the morning going for a walk getting a coffee journaling doing some emails like it stays the same every day for that reason to keep me safe Basically, you've gone from hating yourself to learning how to love yourself. Mm. And I think that that sounds for some, because if you can write it down in a sentence, it makes it sound easy. But holy crap, that's the hardest mm. thing I think anyone can do. But I, I think even taking it one step further than, than loving yourself or loving myself, because I, I, find, I sometimes actually find that phrase quite, I don't really know how to process it because it, it sounds sort of so easy, but it's so not, it's so, so complex. Mm. For me, if anything, it's actually having self-respect. And, and not abandoning myself and being able to show up for myself and being able to ask myself, what do I need right now? Mm. And that, I think, is... You know, I get, I get clients a lot of the time to when we're doing affirmation work and I get them to write at the bottom of this list of affirmations that we've discussed, you know, I am enough. And sometimes they go, I don't know what that means. I'm like, okay, you don't need to know what it means. But if you say something... You know, I, you know we were saying yesterday about practicing something. So the psychology behind 
it is that if you practice something between 30 and 50 times, then it becomes a habit. So think about how many times that we have reacted to something negatively. So think how many times that we've reacted to something when we've been like, oh, I'm so shit, or why did I do it like that? Um, or I'm just, yeah, see, I am, a, I'm a, I am worthless. That, the reason that is like that is because we have reacted so many times to the same thing like that, that it's become a habit. But how about we change that? We practice differently. So we practice, instead of that, we say, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Good enough. We say that over and over again. Eventually, we will start to believe it. And that's, that's why I get them to write it down. And, and I write it down. You know, I have to. Or I look at my... Look, my post-it it all over my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because... My boyfriend will come down and be like, so you are great. <laughs> You're fabulous. <laughs> no, but it's true. We need to change the narrative. And, and it can't be underestimated. A, how impactful that can be, but also how hard. But I think also the biggest thing of the learning from our conversation yesterday and today as well is that knowing that the hardship is part of the journey just because mm. you're on a crappy road at the moment it doesn't mean you've gone off you know you've gone off it you're on it it's part yeah. of it and it's embracing all of that and actually as you said sometimes the the best things come out of pushing your boundaries and it's like i you know and i i the some of the struggles that that i face you know it feels like i'm at a crossroads right and sometimes we can get to this crossroad where we don't know which direction to go in and we're like oh i feel really stuck you know when you get those moments you're like oh i feel a bit stuck you feel stuck emotionally you don't really know how you're like yeah <laughs> exactly yeah and this is this is where i've learned also so much is that when we are in those moments of feeling stuck we have a choice how we respond to that and we have a choice in what we do next. This is the thing. And I find that when I, when I really began to understood what that meant, I found it really empowering because a lot of our lives, we can keep ourselves small so that we avoid responsibility. And by small, I mean we can keep ourselves in that negative mindset, right? So we can keep ourselves with the same beliefs of I'm not good enough because the idea that we actually have to, we have to take responsibility for our lives and the idea so that overwhelming. so overwhelming the yeah. idea that we've actually got so much power we underestimate what amazing things that we can do and that's why we like to keep ourselves small because it's overwhelming yeah. and so when you find ourselves at crossroads it's like okay well, I've got a choice right now I can choose to go back yeah. or I can choose to stay in this discomfort of feeling stuck yeah and that's exactly where I'm at at the moment is obviously COVID unemployment yeah. I don't know where my next my paycheck's gonna be and all the stuff and it's like Amy okay you you can either sit here and do nothing and wait for it and ride it out or you can actually start things mm. like start and like you know I've never been reading more I've never been listening mm. to more podcasts I've never you know started my own for God's sake no, <laughs> and, exactly and I think as you said, when you start realizing you have choices mm. and it's up to you and you show up for yourself, that can be so empowering. But that's but it's also scary. Oh, it's yeah. also scary. Oh, yeah, trust me. I'm breaking it. Because also, like, I felt like that when I today I uploaded the trailer. I went, I've officially opened myself up for all the criticism now. <laughs> and I just went, sod it. You're going to do it. This is, this is part of it. And Brené Brown makes the best reference where she says, unless that you're in the ball ring with me, I don't listen to the criticism you have to mm. offer. And I was like, and so I listened to her as I clicked good. post. Good, That's a very, very good point. So I have a lightning round for you. Yes. So the first one is, addiction is? Seeking external, ex seeking for things externally to change the way we feel internally. What is the most courageous thing you've ever done? Overcome 
overcome my eating disorder, I think, and admit to myself that I had a problem, I think, actually. What is your current goal in life? My current goal in life... My goal, yeah. So my current goal is to... I know what my current goal is. My goal is to create a, a space for people to like a like a rehab center but for people for people who don't necessarily need treatment to come like a community to create a community for people where there's yoga where there's therapy to, to continue to try and take the stigma out of therapy essentially would it, would it be called therapized i don't know yet i don't know yet <laughs> i, I know would yet. go there every day oh, <laughs> thanks. what are you proudest of i'm proudest of sticking with therapized I'm proud of doing my yoga teacher training last year. That was yeah. tough. I mean, I did four years training to become a psychotherapist and I did six, five months of training to become a yoga teacher. And those five months were so much tougher oh, yeah. than doing <laughs> my four years training as a therapist. So, you know, I'm proud of that. I'm proud I stuck with that because I nearly did a runner from that. So... Oh yeah, I yeah, I remember my two hundred hours. Oh my dear God, yeah. <laughs> terrifying. It's it's funny because everyone thinks yoga like oh they're just sitting and they're meditating on a hill and they think everything's. Oh, it's bliss. so confronting. <laughs> oh my God, it's like, so no, confronting. No, it's not. Oh. You have to sit there with your thoughts it was and horrific. be pushed to your core. Yeah, I've never felt more naked in my life. That's a good way <laughs> Um, and what's the best advice you've ever been given? That you've only just got today. You've only, you can only do today you can only be present right now you can't change what's happened and you can't predict what's going to happen you've literally only got today and I remember thinking god thank you actually yeah you're right because I flap about whatever's going to happen in the future and regret and it's just like well I've only got right now why what am I doing by torturing myself with all what's to come or what has been you know that there is yeah. literally not, I'm not gaining anything by doing that I'm not at all. I've only got right now. Love that. If you were speaking to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give your younger self? God, I'd give her a big hug. That's the starters. I'd give her a big hug. I still feel very sad for her. I feel so different from her. But she's definitely still there. She's still very much a part of me. And it's only eight years ago, for God's sake. But I'd tell her that she doesn't have to know all the answers. And I tell her that she doesn't have to get it right all the time. And I tell her that she's going to make mistakes and that's okay. It's and part of it. It's part of it. And I'd also tell her that the pain is not something to fear. The pain is not something to fear. The last one, if you had one week left to live, what would you do? Oh my God. <laughs> what would I do if I had one week left to live? I'd get all my friends and I would go to a remote island and I would just be with them all together and I would write pages and pages and pages of what I'd learnt so that they could then pass, on. Know, pass it on. But I'd be with the people I love the most and I'd be somewhere remote and I'd be reflective. Well, I hope that you do write those pages and pages and pages oh, because Amy, one day... You. You have a book to write. Well, I, I think it's on its way, actually. <laughs> Is I, it yeah, actually? Yeah. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> I know. So I yes. know that's maybe too much information. But yeah, I think it's on its way. So yes. <laughs> Thank, you so, Thank you so much for having me, Amy. 
Oh, Tally, thank you so, so much. Tally really challenged the way I think, which I guess is what she said therapy is all about, isn't it? Challenging our thinking patterns and getting us out of our comfort zone. You can find Tally's Therapized platform on Instagram, at Therapized, where you can find Tally sharing videos of overcoming difficult obstacles in life, and as well as some really fantastic and thought-provoking quotes, which I suggest anyone to cast an eye over and maybe just ponder on it a bit. I hope this episode has perhaps planted a seed to challenge your own ways of thinking, and remember that talking allows others to talk. Let's continue to keep this dialogue going as you just never know who you can be helping along the way. This is I'm Fine Thanks and thank you for listening.